This morning, in honor of Resurrection Sunday, in honor of our celebration of Easter, we're going to talk about why the resurrection matters. So, Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gracious gift that it is. Father, thank you that it is a testimony of those things which are true. Father, thank you that it gives us a testimony, historical, uh, historical awareness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in his empty tomb. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, the resurrection matters. And you would think that, that, that that's a given for Christians. Our entire religion is based on the notion of, of Jesus it being raised from the dead. The problem is, is that if you just kind of do a sweeping scope of modern evangelical Christianity in America, there is usually very little attention given to the resurrection of Jesus in popular American Christianity. Now, academically, yes. Theologically, yes. At some conferences, yes. Around Easter time, yes. But just in our general Christian lives... We don't typically focus on the notion of the resurrection. We assume the resurrection. And I would dare venture to say that sometimes we presume upon the resurrection. But we tend to focus on the crucifixion. That Jesus has died for our sins. Even in a lot of our gospel presentations, that's kind of where we stop is, hey, did you know you were a sinner and you talked to somebody about their sin? And, hey, did you know that Christ came in the world to die for sinners? Did you know that Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins? And a lot of times, even in our gospel presentations, we don't bring out the most important reality of the entire conversation that Christ has been raised from the dead. Because, friends, hear me this morning. Historically speaking, that's the first thing I want to start with, why the resurrection matters historically. And we'll look at a verse about this in just a second, about the importance of this from 1 Corinthians that we read earlier. Historically speaking, and this is going to, on Easter Sunday, you don't want to flirt with things that sound blasphemous, but it's going to sound blasphemous, but historically speaking, if Jesus only died and he wasn't raised from the dead, he was just some other quack job religious dude who died. The scripture basically tells us that. We'll read the text again from 1 Corinthians. We above all people are to be most pitied because we're still in our sins if all Jesus did was die. It's the fact that he came out of the grave that actually makes the difference. 
He couldn't have just gone to the cross and died as some moral example of how you're supposed to live your life. He must have come back from the dead for anything that he taught, said, or, or any action that he attempted to take on our behalf to have any value or meaning whatsoever. If he's still in the grave, we are wasting our time. So there's a historical reality to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is vitally important to the essential notion of what it means to be Christian. Now, even though it's rooted in history, it really did happen in space and time. We have people that have attested to the fact that Jesus did come back from the dead. It was a miraculous event. Hear me this morning. Dead people don't come back from the dead. That's not something we just learned in our modern scientific era either. It's not like you're going along in history and you hit like the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and the scientific awakening and then the post after that and the Industrial Revolution and then all of a sudden people went, Whoa! what do you know? Dead people don't come back from the dead. It's not like we just sort of figured that out recently. There's a reason why people had a hard time believing that Jesus had come back from the dead even 2,000 years ago. Do you know why? Dead people don't come back from the dead. And it doesn't matter if you're pre-modern, mid-modern, modern, modern, post-modern. It really doesn't matter. People have understood historically when people die, they tend to stay dead. That's how that works. And so the fact that Christ has risen, that he's come back from the dead, means that there is a miraculous element to this. Something that stands against the normal pattern of things. Because when we die, we stay dead. And I don't want to stay on this for too long, because I want to open it up a little bit toward the end. But a part of this nature of the resurrection, not only is it historical, not only is it miraculous, but it's also communal. When we celebrate the actual resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we aren't truly just celebrating the resurrection of the individual person of Jesus Christ coming back from the dead. We are celebrating the fact that he preached and taught before his crucifixion and resurrection, that he was the resurrection in life. And that anyone who believed in him, though he died, yet he would live again. Jesus declared before it ever happened that the resurrection that he was going to have was not just his own. But that it was something that he was going to do to cause his people to participate in with him. He was going to become our resurrection. And because he died and rose again, we too though we die, can live again. But I want to save some of that for later. So why is the resurrection important? We've seen the nature of it, but why is it important? Well, first, and I mentioned this earlier, we read this earlier, but it's helpful to go back through this text. The resurrection is important because without it, we are still in our sins. Now, listen, I know everybody has a different background and everybody has a different testimony and everybody's come from different places. I get that. But if you have come to understand at all anything about the holiness of God, if you've come to understand anything at all 
about the weight of human sinfulness against the holiness of God, if you have come to understand even a fraction of the cosmic treason that we have committed against the Most High God, because we are supposed to be His image bearers, and instead of bearing His image and reflecting Him rightly to the world, we instead have created an idol of ourselves, longing for our own pleasure rather than the glory of God. And everything about our life ought to scream, God is great, and instead it thumbs our noses and essentially curses the name of God without Christ in our lives. This is the reality of what Scripture teaches about the human condition. And without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that's still the condition that we are in. Look at what it says. We read it earlier to start our service, but we'll go back to it again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, hear this, listen to this. Your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. For if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we above all men are to be most pitied. I don't know about you. I've had a lot of people over the years ask me about this because I've, I've been pretty transparent about it. But I'm profoundly skeptical. It's one of the great flaws of my person. I'm just skeptical. I don't just believe stuff because people say it. And in this new, really weird world of AI that we've got, I don't believe stuff because I see it and hear it either. I just, this is totally off topic from the sermon, but it just so happened that I saw it this week as I was prepping for this little part about being a skeptic. So a bunch of years ago, the actor Leonardo DiCaprio gave a big speech at a global uh, conference about climate change. And this new modern voice technology and video technology that they have for for AI stuff, somebody looped a bunch of other celebrities in a corner, like a picture-in-picture. And so he's giving his speech, and then after he gives the first line, the celebrity that they looped into it with all this AI technology gave the next line. And it looked like they were saying it, and it sounded like they were saying it. And three-fourths of the speech was given by like a half a dozen other people that weren't Leonardo DiCaprio. And you could not tell that they weren't the ones who gave the speech. So I was already a skeptic anyway. And now with modern AI technology, I can be watching the TV. Like whoever wins the NBA championship, I don't really know if they won or not. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Did they? I'm just going to go ahead and say the Grizzlies won because, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't know. I have to go and touch the trophy. I've become a, more of a doubting Thomas than I already was. Unless I touch the trophy myself. I, I, won't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a skeptic. 
I'm profoundly skeptical. That's what I am. It's a, it's a great fault in my personality. And people have asked me over the years, say, Philip, you, you have a lot of doubts about things and you have a lot of skepticism about things. How is it? I've had people with earnest ask me, how is it with all of the investigation and all the skepticism and all the natural doubting that you have? How is it that you are still a Christian? Because there's so many things about Christianity that seem foolish. And the scripture says that. There's so many things about Christianity that seem foolish. Philip, how is it that not only you're still a Christian, but your whole existence is telling other people that this is the truth? How do you land there? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ is not raised, you are still in your sins. Friends, I can't still be in my sins. I don't know what it's like for you. But when I think through what I was before Christ touched my life. And when I think through what I likely would have become had Christ not touched my life, I can't not believe that the grave is empty. Because, friends, I would be above all men most to be pitied. Because there would be nothing of value about my life at all. If it weren't for Jesus. I know this from personal real experience. I feel deeply what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because if Christ has not been raised. Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. God may it never be. May it never be. So why is the resurrection important? Because without it, we still have all of this sin to account for. And I certainly do not want to stand before God and have to account for my own sin. That will not be a good day. Second, why is the resurrection important? Because without it, we have no hope. Peter writing to uh, uh, various groups of, of Jewish people who were believers who had been dispersed because of persecution. He writes to them in First Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning of verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now let's pause right there. Normally when we talk about being born again... When we're sharing the gospel with people, how is it that we're born? Well, why am I born again? Because Christ died for you. We go straight to the crucifixion. That's not what Peter does. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How, why, for what purpose, to what end? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter places the central reality of the gospel and the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's what he does. To obtain, what did it do for us? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Now, we're not going to turn this into a sermon from Peter, but... The beautiful thing about what Peter is saying there, your salvation, your inheritance, your hope for a future, your life 
in the everlasting paradise that is the presence of God is protected by the power of God. And in the New Testament, over and over and over and over and over again, it talks about the power of God being displayed in what? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The power of God displayed in the resurrection of Jesus is what is securing our hope for eternal delight in the presence of God. The resurrection. I only have hope. Friends, listen, I, I, I already expressed the need for my personality to be altered in my skepticism. It doesn't help that there's also a good deal of cynicism there too. I know that when we have conversations, like when, when I talk with some of you, very often I come off as a glass half full, you know, hey, it's going to be okay, you know. And in the back of my mind, there's this monster rattling a cage inside of me going, it's not going to be okay. The whole world is terrible. And all things gonna, God should just burn the whole thing up. Like, ah! like there's, this, there's this guy in me that's just like losing it, going, this is awful. Like, what in the world? And all you have to do is just turn on TV and watch the news for like five minutes. And, and if you have any sort of theological perspective at all, you go, God, how have you not like thrown brimstone and, and stuff down like you did in the Old Testament? Like this, this, every time I cut the TV on, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah could not have been this bad. Like, how are we still living? Like, I don't understand what's going on here. And then when I have some good self-examination, particularly on those days when I'm not making as much of Christ in my life as I, I should, and I have a good moment of, of, of realization of how flawed I still am without Jesus, I'm like, how come you haven't thrown fire and brimstone down on me yet today? And yet, there's hope. There's hope. The world is a train wreck of a place. Sin still runs rampant through our world. God's glory is made a mockery of by those who are still in their sins and oftentimes by those of us who have come into Christ. And yet, we have an undefiled, imperishable, won't fade away inheritance of hope in Jesus Christ. How do we have that? Because He has been raised from the dead. That's how we have that. And friends, you cannot make it through one day of your life without the assuring hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You just can't. Amanda and I talk about it all the time. All the time when we see people whose lives clearly are marked not by having been redeemed in Christ. We say, how do you face even a regular day? Just a normal day where you get up, you eat breakfast, you go to work, you spend time with the family, you come home, you go to sleep, watch a little TV, whatever. How do you even face a regular day without the hope of Jesus, let alone those tragic days that come where you're facing some illness or job loss or, or whatever that happens in life? How do you face it down without the hope of Jesus? Third, and I mentioned this a second ago. But it's really important for us to grasp this important notion of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another historical influence that died. I know that's super uncomfortable to hear, and trust me, it's super uncomfortable to say on Sunday morning on Easter while preaching a sermon. 
But if it were not for the resurrection, Jesus is just some other old dead dude that we read about in a history book. That's it. It's not somebody you need to trust. I don't know somebody you need to put your faith in. Somebody whose philosophy you can take or leave or cherry pick the parts out that you like, leave out the parts that you don't like. He's just some other teacher from back then that we have to kind of excuse away some of his cultural contextual stuff because he lived 2,000 years ago in a different world than we live in. And if you can glean something good from it, great. And if you can't glean something from it, fine. And just move on and enjoy your life. If Jesus did not come back from the dead, that's how we have to treat him. That's how we have to view him. But friends, hear me this morning. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, he said, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, who was called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scripture. And we're going to get to that in a second. Friends, this resurrection notion isn't something new that happened with Jesus. There have been types and shadows in the entire Old Testament pointing to the reality of the resurrection to come. It's a beautiful thing when you see it. Concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God, here it is again, with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, I said the one side of it. If Jesus just died and didn't come back, he's just some guy. Friends, there's a flip side to that coin. If Jesus died and was raised from the dead, just like the scripture says he was, then he is sovereign king and Lord, and you must yield to him. Because that's the declaration that he made about himself. He was God in the flesh. He and the Father were one. That he was king of kings, he's Lord of lords, he's Alpha Omega, he's beginning to end. This is what the scripture says about who Jesus is. If he indeed has been raised from the dead and has victory over death, victory over sin, has received the wrath of God on behalf of his people and stands both as the justice and the justifier of God's almighty judgment. If that's who Jesus actually is, you had better pause and give deep contemplation to who it is you're rejecting if you're walking away from Christ. Because if he's not raised, he's just some guy and you can take him or leave him. If he did come back from the dead, then he's everything he said he was. And the world is as he says that it is, which means you are a sinner separated by your sin from a holy God and his holy wrath will fall on you. And it is only by grace, through faith, that you might have life and hope. And that is only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's not like a middle ground here. The great author C.S. Lewis said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. He was either lying about everything, he was a complete madman, or everything that he said was absolutely true. He is who he says he was, and you better bend the knee. That's what you've got. There's no middle ground. The resurrection is what demonstrates that for us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ sets our religious identity apart. Friends, we don't have a dead faith. We don't have a neutral faith. We have a living faith. Let's go back to our original text from Luke. What did it say? When those ladies came, they were going to embalm the body properly, give Jesus a proper burial, and they didn't see him there, and the stone had been rolled away. Notice the question that they asked. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? 
He is not here. Praise God. But he is risen just like he said. Now, you don't catch it very much in the English translation. And I don't do this a lot, but it's really important for you to see this. That little phrase there, living one, that's translated in English, living one. In the Greek, it's a participle. It's a verbal noun in the Greek. It means that it's a... It's a it's it's describing the character of an entity through action. That means that who whoever's being described when you have these kinds of participles used, whoever's being described, they're not just being described as an individual entity. They're being described as an individual entity that always and perpetually has some action associated with their very being. Jesus is the living one. His very being is associated with being alive. There is no Jesus without life. That's what they're trying to say here. Why would you, in other words, why would you look for being alive among the dead? That's sort of, they could have said it that same way. Why would you do that? Why would you come and look for being alive among the dead? And I think Jesus said something very similar to that in his public ministry. I'm the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is life. When we are in our sins without Jesus, you know what we are? We're the walking dead. We are dead man walking. But in Christ... There is life because Christ is life. He is the living one. And friend, you might be breathing and you might be walking and you might be doing all manner of things. But if you do not have Christ, you are not truly alive. You are spiritually dead. And you must experience resurrection from that death in the life of Jesus. That's called salvation. It's a beautiful thing. And friends, this morning, I I want you to see that the whole of Scripture points to the resurrection. The entire Bible is about Jesus. The normal Sylvania people should say amen to that. Like, I've spent literally 13 years in this pulpit trying to prove that that actually is true. The entire Bible is about Jesus. And Everything about Jesus hinges on the resurrection. So if the entire Bible is about Jesus and the whole of Jesus's real ministry hinges on the resurrection, don't you think that along the way in the whole of the Bible, you would see types and shadows of the picture of the resurrection? Maybe you're thinking this morning, I don't think so. Bear with me for just a few moments. I want to give you just a few examples. By few, I mean a lot. All right, so here we go. Let's start all the way back at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. The day and night cycle in creation is actually a picture of resurrection. In the Western world, we celebrate our days, especially in the modern world, starting at midnight, ending at midnight. What a weird way to start a day, by the way. My day starts in the middle of the night when we're all asleep. It's such a weird thing that we've done. Because we're so smart, scientific modernism. Anyway, it's like, start your day at like 8. Like, 
That's what they did in the ancient Western world. The day started at sunrise. Like that's farmers do that, you know. Not so in the Hebrew mindset, not so in the creation story. You know when the day started? And there was evening, and then there was morning the first day. Your day started in the nighttime when everyone was asleep, a picture of death. Your day ended when everyone was alive during the daylight. It's a picture of resurrection even built in the language of the creation story of Genesis chapter 1. The entire night-day cycle of the Hebrew system was God screaming, Life comes from death. That's what he was doing. Next, Noah and the ark. Even the New Testament says that's a picture of resurrection. Like, I shouldn't have to convince you of that. These people went into this watery grave of an ark. Everyone else dies. God himself opens up this doorway of this deliverance ark and they come out alive. They should have been swallowed up by the flood waters of death and instead they get to live. Beautiful picture of resurrection. The womb of Sarah, her barrenness late in life and the birth of the covenant son, of Isaac. The sacrifice of Isaac and going on Mount Moriah. And he asks his father, where is the sacrifice? And he says, God himself will offer up the sacrifice. And the New Testament teaches us that the reason why Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son is because he believed God could raise him from the dead. Abraham's faith, Abraham's faith was a faith based in the resurrection. Guess what? All like, like ours. Why do you think over and over and over again the New Testament goes, people who had faith like Abraham, people who have faith like Abraham, people who have faith like Abraham. Well, what kind of faith did Abraham have? You don't hear it very often because we neglect and ignore the resurrection. Abraham had a resurrection faith. The rescue of Joseph, both from the pit by the slave traders and from the prison. And his rescue of the land from famine. All of these are pictures of life coming from death. The entire life of Job. The whole book, by the way, the whole book is a picture of life coming from death. Just curse God and die, is what his wife said. And Job, being a braver man than any man I know in the modern world, you speak like a foolish woman. I've never heard a husband say that to his wife and live to tell the story. Again, another example of life coming from death. Clearly, Job's life was a picture of resurrection. The rescue of Moses from the river when they were killing all of the other Hebrew children. And his family put him in the basket. The picture of water being a picture of death throughout that culture And him being drawn out of that and given back to his family to raise him. Picture of resurrection. The very Passover itself and the whole story of the Exodus. Life coming from death. They they had the blood cover the posts. The death angel passes over them. 
It says that in the land of Egypt there was not a house where there was not someone dead. And yet there in Goshen they were all alive. And it says that the Egyptians sent them away. Get out of here. Go. And it says that Pharaoh pursued them. And then they came to that watery place. Again, a picture of water being a picture of death. And God spread the water apart for them. And they didn't walk across on mud seams. They walked across on dry land. No death was even touching their feet. And then when the enemy pursued, judgment fell over them. They made it alive on the other side. The enemy did not. A picture of life coming from death. Resurrection. The story of Ruth showing us that resurrection isn't just for the nation of Israel, but for all those who have faith. She was as good as dead. And yet she was redeemed by a man that she might have life. The birth of Samuel and his mother could not conceive, and it gave birth to one of the greatest prophets the nation of Israel has ever known, a picture of life coming from death. As we move to Ezra and Nehemiah, we see the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple and this notion of those people who have been captive and enslaved and in the dungeon now being able to live the life that God has called them to live and worship God rightly. Life coming from death. The suffering servant of Isaiah. If you want, I want to show you how how much we neglect this. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, the story of the suffering servant. And I'm going to go straight down to the the end. Go to verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering. All right, listen, that's death. If you weren't here for our Leviticus study, those animals died. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, what would happen? He will see his offspring, his spiritual children in Christ. He will prolong his days. How are you going to prolong the days of something that's dead? Guilt offerings are dead. How do you prolong the days of something that's dead? How does a dead animal see its offspring? It doesn't. Unless it comes back from the dead. The result of his anguish of his soul, he will see it. He will see the result of the anguish of his soul. He'll see his death and be satisfied in it. How do you do that? By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He'll bear their sins. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. How do you give him a portion with the great if he's dead? He will divide the booty with the strong. He will be poured out himself to death. Uh, He'll be numbered with the transgressors. He himself will bear the sins of many and intercede for the transgressors. And now pause... We almost always stop there. The the poem of the prophet Isaiah does not stop there. 54, verse 1. Shout for joy, O barren one. Oh, it's a picture of a womb that's dead. It doesn't bring life. What's he going to say? You who have borne no child, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. You have not travailed. Why? For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons even of the married woman, says the Lord. That's a resurrection. That's what that is. Right on the heels of where we stop and talk about the suffering servant that's already talking about resurrection, it continues with the idea of, listen, because this is going to happen to this suffering servant, and because I'm going to show him what he did, he's going to live and have prolonged days. Resurrection is going to happen to him. Guess what? Those of you who couldn't produce life in yourselves, God will produce life in you. It's a picture of resurrection. 
It's all over the place. The very life of Jeremiah, I know that some in the community have been doing a community Bible study through Jeremiah. Jeremiah's whole life is a picture of resurrection. Jeremiah stands out and he preaches and he preaches and he preaches. Oh, what a call Jeremiah had. Hey, Jeremiah, I want you to preach. I want you to preach a message of repentance to the nation. Okay, God, I'll do it. Yeah, and they're all going to hate you and nobody's going to repent and they're going to try to kill you and they won't be able to kill you because I'll protect you. And then when you realize that, that, that you're not going to die, you'll see that the entire nation's been burned down around you and everybody's been carried off into slavery. Have fun. What a call to ministry. Like, that's what every preacher I know wants to sign up for that. All right, you know. So from human perspective, no success at all. That's right. Not zero. No repenters. Everybody's going to Babylon. It's like, oh, all right. And so what do they do with Jeremiah at the end of his life? They throw him into a pit. And then he climbs out of the pit and he's the only living soul in the city. It's a picture of resurrection. Beautiful. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a fun children's story. We love to do it in Sunday school. But friends, this is a story about resurrection. O king, we will not bow down. For we know, man, talk about how gutsy this is. For we know that our God is able to save us. But even if he does not. Man, I love, it's like one of my favorite things in the whole Bible. Even if he does not, we will not bow down and worship your idol. And so they throw him into the furnace and they pump up the heat so much that the guys that threw him in actually caught on fire. And it says the king looked down there and he sees, and he sees those three men that he threw and he says, I see another one there like the son of man, like the son of the gods. There were four people down there and they came out and their clothes didn't even have singes on it, it said. Like, not, no evidence they'd ever even been in the fire. It's resurrection. And they weren't doing that on their own. They were participating in the resurrection of someone else. Daniel himself thrown into the mouth of the lion's den. And the king calls down to Daniel. Daniel, are you there? He said, we're here. Everybody's fine. We're good. It's fine. Life coming from death. And then, friends, I I would encourage you to read it just mostly because most people never have. All of the minor prophets, every one of them, if you read the minor prophets in their right context and just read them through, judgment, 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 but there's hope of restoration. Judgment, 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 but there's hope of life. Judgment, 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 but God will deliver. And where will this deliverance come from? From God's glory of bringing life from death. Friends, hear me this morning as we close. I want to close with this thought. I want you to take this thought with you. The crucifixion pays our penalty. But the resurrection secures our victory. There's a reason why the cross behind me is empty. There's a reason why Jesus is not depicted on it. Because not only was he brought down from it, but the grave that he was put in, he came out of it. Jesus Christ 
has offered his life as a sacrifice once for all. He has entered into the most holy place. He's offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. And then he rose victorious in power over sin, death, and judgment. And reigns at the right hand of God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The one who is the living one who's not among the dead. And friends, if you are in Christ Jesus... You are among the living one. That's who you are. It's not what you're going to get one day. It's who you are. I am raised up in Christ Jesus. The only thing that I'm longing for. The only thing that I'm waiting for. The only thing that you're waiting for is the final culmination of all things in Jesus. When he brings about final judgment on the enemies of the gospel, and he brings final full redemption to those of us who are in the gospel by giving us new resurrected bodies that sin can touch no more. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for how important... The resurrection is. And Father, forgive us when we neglect its value in our lives, in our worship, in our conversations, in our songs, in our gospel communication, in our praising of you, in our prayer, in our hope. For Father, without the resurrection, all of this is meaningless. It's meaningless because we're still in our sin. But praise Be to you, God, you have raised Christ from the dead. The tomb is empty. The throne room is full. The banquet table is open. You call your children to come and sit and eat and drink and delight. Because death and sin and judgment have no sway over us any more. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand.